0: talk about your heart and your throat Woo. if you're that kid oh my goodness the question is is did it come blast? the ATM was open bank shot <laughs> Oh, what an amazing holiday bowl uh, it was on Wednesday night. Welcome into the Joel Klatt Show, everybody. I'm Joel Klatt, and we have got the playoffs here, and we are finally going to break it down on the program. So let's uh, let's get into that in just a moment. First and foremost, though, thank you for supporting the show. Um, I've got a... Breakdown of these playoff games coming on Monday. So Monday morning, you're going to make sure that you're going to want to be a part of the show and go and download it right away because both of these games, both the Peach Bowl with Georgia and Ohio State, the Fiesta Bowl with Michigan and TCU, I'll have my full thoughts on, on both of those games and breaking them down on Monday. So um, Monday, January 2nd, we'll have that ready for you. Uh, if you... Are new to the show, welcome. You can follow me at Joel Clatt on Twitter. You can follow the show at Joel Clatt Show on any of the social medias. And this one's going to be all just about these two games. We've got the playoffs here and they're finally here. And until we get an expanded playoff, this is all we have to talk about. So I can't wait to get into, I want to talk about all four of these teams and and the matchup and, and specifically where I feel like these teams um, are are strong, where they match up well, maybe where they don't match up well, and how these games are going to play out. So let's start with the Peach Bowl. The Peach Bowl, number four, Ohio State versus number one, Georgia. Georgia and Ohio State. And Ohio State had to feel... Listen, they're fortunate to be in this spot. I think that we all acknowledge that. I think they would even acknowledge that. Uh, Georgia, they fully expected to be in this spot. This has been the best team in the country over the last 18 months. And last year, they were a sensational team. This year, they have been the equal. And I think a lot of us, I think me included, didn't know exactly what to expect here a year after a championship. We've seen these teams um not named Alabama you know not necessarily play great the next year after a championship and yet this Kirby Smart team and program is clearly just rolling right now and this team is really good and they're built so similar to a Michigan team that just beat Ohio State and you can argue and I probably would that they're probably a better version of the same type of team uh, that Michigan was, and that's the one team that beat Ohio State this year. Ohio State beat everybody else by double digits and struggled against Michigan in part because of the dominance of the line of scrimmage for the Wolverines. Well, they're going to see a team in Georgia that is built from the exact same blueprint, and you can make an argument, and clearly the the stats do and the tape does that this team is more explosive and at times even more dominant at the line of scrimmage. So. Buckeyes have their hands full in this one. Got to go down into Atlanta and play this game. in basically the backyard of the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, We saw how that worked out for Oregon to begin the year. And it was interesting talking with Dan Lanning before the holiday bowl. And we started talking about this game specifically. And I was just like, well, what do you think? And he was like, well, you know what I think? And I was like, well, yeah, by by how many? And he was like, all of them. (laughs) He's like, I recruited those guys. I know exactly how good they are. Um, Let's just talk a little bit about Georgia. Okay. Because <clears throat> because they've been so dominant, you know, outside of a couple of games, you know, they I guess Missouri was a, a single digit win. That was clearly the one you point to and you're like, hey, what's wrong with Georgia? Are they not quite as dominant? And then sure enough, by the end of the year, they were exactly what we thought that they would be. And and they've been dominant. You know, this is an offensive line that that owns it up front. They protect the quarterback very well. They run the ball very well. Here are the numbers to back that up. They've only uh only given up 7 sacks all season long. You know, that that partly is great protection, but it's also partly playing with the lead. It's also partly playing on schedule, throwing the ball on your terms rather uh than on the opposition's terms. And they've been able to do that because of the fact they can run the ball so successfully. They're averaging five and a half yards per carry. That's eighth in the country. So they're really good up front, right? I could spout off a lot of numbers to tell you that. But basically, you got to know that they play the game for the most part, overwhelmingly most part, on their terms. And they do that with great line play in their offensive game. What that has allowed them to do is develop outside to be quite frank with you like Stetson Bennett from a talent perspective he's not close to what Drake May was on Wednesday night right or even what he's going to see across from him this week uh, when he faces CJ Stroud like Stroud's a more talented player but Bennett has been able to develop and he's turned into a really really good college football player goes to high uh, the uh, as a Heisman finalist he put up some great numbers and what's really special about Bennett is what he does in big games. So when he needs to play well, he does it. And, and here's the evidence of that. Going back to last year's playoff, here's a guy that in his last five games against top 15 teams, he's thrown the ball for 72%, about 287 yards per game, 13 touchdowns and no interceptions. In fact, he's got 15 total touchdowns and only two turnovers, a couple of fumbles. That's remarkably good. Considering who he's playing against in those games, like those are the numbers that we would expect in the stat pattern games. You know, when you're playing the lower level teams or the bad teams within your conference, those are the numbers that you expect. And he's doing it in the absolute upper echelon, got to play great moments of the season. Again, going back to last year's playoff, he's been absolutely fantastic. And how do they do that? Well, they do that with a stable of backs, a really good offensive line, and then what has become Really, as far as a one-two combination goes at the tight end position, the best tight end room in America, their passing game basically is a tight end oriented passing game. Now, they'll throw it to other guys, obviously. But when you look at these two guys, Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, they are the ones that are leading the charge. Okay, you, you step back and you look at them and like combined, they've got 78 catches, 1,100 yards, and eight touchdowns. When they need something, Bowers is generally the guy. They'll hand it to him on the jet sweeps. You guys have seen it. You've seen the highlights. This guy's a dynamic player. I think he's one of the best players in America. In fact, I think the two best players on the field, on uh, uh, I guess this will be on Saturday, in the Peach Bowl are going to be Marvin Harrison Jr. and, and Brock Bowers both of them uh will have to play another year but i think those are the the two best now yes jalen carter is a heck of a player there's no doubt and and he'll get his due it's it's just hard to evaluate the production and the impact of jalen carter versus guys like bowers and harrison in the passing game but that's neither here nor there um this this is a team though that when when you look at how would you beat a team like this? Where are the holes? Where are the weaknesses? They have shown you can get after them in the passing game a little bit. Okay, again, like it's not like they're a hundredth they're in passing defense, it's not like they're bad in passing defense. But if, if you've got the right type of system and the right type of quarterback who's veteran, who knows what he's doing, and, and maybe even more in particular, the right type of wide receivers to attack and win the one-on-ones, which is the key, winning the one-on-ones on the outside, you can throw the ball against Georgia. And we've seen that. Now, Tennessee wasn't able to do that this year, and they had a dynamic passing game. But what we did see last year was Alabama do that. They were on the way to do that even in the national championship. And then in the last game that we saw, what did we see? LSU did that. They were very dynamic in that game. From a yards perspective, big plays perspective, they allowed 10 pass plays, Georgia did, of at least 20 yards to LSU. That's the most in the Kirby Smart era. Well, that's, that's not a good trend when you're about to face a passing game that's much better than LSU. Okay, there's only a couple of passing games that when you combine the schematics of how they attack you and the personnel of who's on the outside, that you can confidently say like, yeah, they won't be overwhelmed against Georgia. And and there's only a couple that you would say, hey, they might even have the advantage over Georgia, even though Georgia is a great defense. Well, Ohio State is one of those. So from that perspective, as great as Georgia is, as the one seed, as the undefeated SEC champ, this is probably the one team of the four or five that they could have possibly faced that they were like, no, this is probably not the best matchup for us. It's not a bad matchup, obviously. I just went through all the things that they were dominant in, but it's not the best matchup for them. Obviously, they would have loved to have seen a team that is not as dynamic throwing the ball with C.J. Stroud at quarterback, Marvin Harrison Jr. and a Mecca Buka, and even guys like Stover at the tight end position, even Fleming out there. They'll throw it to the back. So this is this is a team offensively in Ohio State that at least has a a glimmer of hope that they can move the ball and produce some yards and points because we've seen offenses that are similar do that against Georgia. Their biggest strength, though, I'm going to save for a moment. Let me just stop or end with this for Georgia. If there is one key for Georgia, it's like, what would you tell the Georgia team if they gave you the ability? This is what I would say. If I had Kirby Smart right here, if I had Georgia and their their team right in front of me, I would say, be yourself. You're the best team in America. You have been for 18 months. Be yourself. They've been in big environments. They play big games all the time in the SEC. They were in the playoff last year. They won the national championship last year over a team that was very difficult for them to beat, right? The gorilla in the room in the SEC. You got to go beat Nick Saban. You got to go beat the mentor. You got to go beat the champ, if you will. And they were able to do that. So Georgia, be yourself. That's all you got to do. I think Georgia is the better team of the two teams. So they just got to go out there and play that way. Now let's look at Ohio State. Okay, so Ohio State comes into this, and man, you talk about like a weird month in Columbus because the sky is falling, and yet... They're 21 and two in their last 23 and are in the playoff and have a chance to win a national championship. Like what's going on, (laughs) right? I believe that Ohio state fans have totally overreacted to the loss against Michigan completely. They have, they have been totally what's the word brainwashed is the one in my mind, but it's not the right word for this. It's the, the Ohio State fans had it too easy against Michigan for too long, okay? They were lured into thinking that part of this rivalry was just owning this rivalry. And what they failed to see over the last couple of years is that Michigan joined them. They didn't fall. Michigan joined them. I believe in too many fans' eyes for Ohio State, they feel like the Buckeyes have taken a step down. That's not the case. I firmly believe that that's not the case. Now, let's talk about this team. This team, in my estimation, and I see them more than anybody. So let me just run through kind of what are the things that I know about Ohio State. Well, let's talk about their offense first. When is Ohio State's offense at their best? Well, it starts when they are able to run the football. Now, it's not their identity, and I understand that it's like, oh, you just got done talking about the passing game and C.J. Stroud and Harrison. Don't they need to air it out? Yes, they will need to air it out. But what I know about Ohio State is that they're best throwing the football, and they are attacking at their most efficient throwing the football once they've established the run, once they've established the fact that they can hurt you in the run game. And now all of a sudden, what they do is they can start to get into the tempo game. And then the play action pops up. And that's where they're lethal. In particular, right around the 50-yard line, maybe the plus 40-yard line. They get a little bit going right there. It's a screen here. And then a little run game, a run game, and then a run game right here. And then all of a sudden, it's tempo. And it's like, bam. That's when the shot comes out. And you know it, Ohio State fans. That's the rhythm that you're used to seeing when they're playing their best. But it always starts, at least in my estimation and all the film that I've watched, once they can have success with the run game. Now, that doesn't mean they have to be dominant running the football. It's it's the fact that during the course of a series, they've got to find some success running the football. And that has at times eluded them this year, both through, I would say, a lack of identity, and trying to find the right scheme to run, and part of that was a rotating door in the backfield. They couldn't get healthy back there. They thought that they were going to have Travion Henderson, who was, by the way, in the preseason garnering some Heisman odds, and he's just never been healthy, and so they've had to figure it out from a personnel standpoint at running back. And now what what we're going to see, I believe, on Saturday is, is a combination of Chip, Trainum, Dalla, uh, Dallin Hayden, and Mayan Williams. And Chip Trainum, by the way, looked really good against Michigan the last time they were out. 14 carries, 83 yards. He's a guy that transferred in from Arizona State, and I think he's a good player. But more than anything, it's a, it's, it's about the fact that Ryan's got to find a way to have some success running the football. Now, that leads me to my second thing, what I know about this team. And that is, when you give Ryan Day and these offensive coaches a break an extended break their game plans are usually really good very dynamic you think about the way that they have attacked defenses in these semifinal games the last two times that they've been in the playoff and it's pretty impressive right this is the third time they've been in the playoff with Ryan Day as the head coach you look at those two games against Clemson I understand that they lost the first one but they were attacking the game plan was outstanding they were running Clemson out of the building in the Fiesta Bowl that night until Sean Wade got that targeting penalty. Then Trevor Lawrence got going and, and J.K. Dobbins dropped the ball. And then, you know, and all of a sudden it kind of spirals away from you and they lose the game. That was a very good Clemson team. Um, the next year they they roll out there and that game plan against Clemson was outstanding. I believe that their game plan early in the game is going to give them opportunities to be successful both throwing the ball and running the ball. And they've got to take advantage of that. So watch the execution early because the biggest thing that they struggled with against Michigan wasn't that they didn't have things open. It's that they didn't execute those things. You know, whether it was short yardage or plays down the field, what we saw is mistakes that we don't normally see from the Buckeyes. So that's got to get corrected if they're going to beat Georgia. And then the last thing that that I know about this team, and it's more matchup specific, is that they've got to do everything in their power to negate the line of scrimmage. Why? Because Jalen Carter is in there. We saw them struggle a little bit, running the football against the interior of the Michigan defense, and I think that the interior of the Georgia defense is actually better. So what do they have to do? Well, they've got to get on the perimeter. The first quarter game plan offensively for Alabama in the national championship game last year should be the blueprint for how Ohio State, at least early in the game, attacks Georgia this year. It was very effective. I thought that Alabama last year did a marvelous job of getting on the perimeter as quickly as possible and then attacking down the seams. They did a really good job, and until Jamison Williams got hurt, Georgia was on their heels. So that's a game plan that if I was Ryan Day, I would mimic uh, going into this matchup. They've got to negate the line of scrimmage as, mu- as much as they can. And then on the defensive side, here's what I know about Ohio State, is that this coordinator, Jim Knowles, has been under an immense amount of scrutiny over the last four weeks, and, and rightly so, right? They didn't adjust well enough in the second half of that game against Michigan. This is a defense that is built on really three premises. They want to be able to have a defense that can, can be multiple with quick calls, so, that they can face tempo teams and still have multiple fronts and multiple uh, blitz structures. They want to be able to confuse the quarterback. We saw that most of the season with that three safety look that they uh, have on the field. And they use that confusion to create pressure. They want the quarterback to hold the ball, pump the ball, pat the ball, and then all of a sudden get the pressure on them. We saw that at times this year as well. My question is how risky are they going to have to be in order to? Control, if you will, or stop the run game for Georgia. Well, I don't know how risky they have to be. Why doesn't Ohio State, and this would be a suggestion, I think that they should play a a more bend, don't break style of defense, a similar defense like they're going to face, and I'll get to that in a moment, or like they just faced in Michigan. You know, if you look at some of the best defenses right now in the country from a scoring perspective, what you see is is teams that know to, how to get off the field in the red zone. And, and it seemed like there was all the emphasis for Ohio State was just to s- stop Michigan dead in their tracks. And they gave up huge plays because of it. The defense could not limit the big play. The last time they were out there, Michigan scored on TDs of 69, 75, 45, 75, and 85 yards. You can't do that and beat Georgia. And I don't think that they have to play as risky a defense. All right, let Georgia move the football, right? And then when the opportunity arises, get off the field. At some point, you have to trust your offense that they're going to score as well. So what you've got to go in there and do is you're going to say, like, listen, we're going to trade touchdowns for us, field goals for you. That's what Michigan has done to Ohio State in the last two matchups. In fact, Ohio State's offense, only one of four in the red zone, I believe, in that last matchup with the Wolverines. So that's a blueprint that they can use in this game, right? You don't have to sell out. You don't have to run the risky defenses that they ran against Michigan this week in this semifinal. What you do have to do is find a way to get off the field in the red zone, right? And and that's what they're going to have to do uh, their best. And then that leads us to the final point on this Peach Bowl semifinal. I know it was long, but listen, it's a semifinal. The biggest key in the game and the one that favors Georgia is when Ohio State has the ball in the red zone. Every time that Ohio State struggles, whether you go back, even in a win, it was last year against Penn State, uh, last year against Michigan when they lost, this year against Michigan uh, when they lost. You go back to the Oregon game uh, last year when they lost. You go back to Nebraska uh, when they played a tight game against a bad football team. What happens, generally speaking? They struggle in the red zone on offense, okay? And they were 1-4 of in the red zone scoring touchdowns against Michigan. Again, I don't care. Listen, field goals in the red zone are a total win for the defense. We've got to get out of our heads, like, don't think of red zone defense as just, like, percentage of scoring, you know, or offense as percentage of scoring. It's about touchdown percentage. And Ohio State struggles, or when they struggle, they lose, okay? And if they struggle... Scoring touchdowns in the red zone this week, they will lose. And guess what they're going to face? The number one red zone touchdown percentage defense in the country. This is what Georgia does. In fact, Georgia is not a top 10 defense when you look at yards per play given up. I think they're 14th in the country. But they're the number two scoring defense in the country. Well, how do those two jive? Well, let me tell you. They mix because in the red zone, they get off the field. And they get those four-point plays that I've been calling them on those games. And so it's for that reason... For the fact that I'm, I I don't know how well Ohio State's going to be able to run the football in order to build to that explosive passing game, and for the fact that Ohio State generally struggles in the red zone against good teams and, th- and they don't you know punch it into the end zone, for that reason, I'm picking Georgia in this game. I think Georgia wins, but I would take the Buckeyes uh, and give me the six and a half. So I would say that Ohio State covers, but Georgia wins the Peach Bowl and will go to the national championship. Let's go to the next game, the Fiesta Bowl. The Fiesta Bowl, number three, TCU versus number two, Michigan. All right, so this is tailor-made for the Michigan Wolverines to go to the national championship game. They're favored by seven and a half. It's a bigger spread than Georgia and Ohio State, and this is a team that has put themselves in the rarefied air of being one of the best teams in the country over the last 18 months. I told you that Georgia is the best team in the country over the last 18 months, and as far as the record goes, Michigan is the second best team over the last 18 months in college football. 25 and 2 since the start of last season. Only Georgia is better. Ohio State is third by the way at 22 and 3. That's what kind of makes this playoff so good. Um and and this Michigan team, they have been Totally rebuilt in the last two years. Jim Harbaugh has done an outstanding job. This coaching staff has done an outstanding job. They know exactly who they are, and they know exactly how they want to beat you. And they do it in a slow, suffocating fashion. They're so confident in the way that they are built from a physical standpoint and the fact that they can run the ball when they want to, that they're good at the line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively, that they just stay patient until the second half. And they're the, the there is no better second-half team in college football than the Michigan Wolverines. They are outscoring their opponents by almost 16 points per in the second half this year. Their point differential is plus 206 just in the second half. So th- th- this team gets better every single moment. That's why you don't see them panic much in the first half. Okay, we played a close first first half. We, I, I hear from all the coaches out there that face them. There's like, you know, everybody's been close with them at halftime. We just got to stay close. We just got to be close in the fourth quarter. And there was really only one team that did that, and that was Illinois. Even Maryland, like Maryland never had a possession to take the lead. They never had the ball with the ability to take the lead. And Illinois was able to do that. So only one. Okay, so when you look at Michigan, you look at Georgia even. There was really only one game all year that they were like maybe in some trouble late. Illinois for Michigan and Mizzou for Georgia. So this is a team that they just won't panic. They don't care if it's close. They'll just continue to, to hammer away with that run game. And now what you've seen, without Blake Corum, albeit, and he was such an impactful piece of this game uh, and this team for them, but without Blake Corum, they've changed a little bit. They've actually become what I would say is, is a little bit more explosive. It's hard to prove that with the numbers, but what I see in the Ohio State game and against Purdue in the Big Ten Championship is a team that can hit home runs, both in the passing game and in the run game. Donovan Edwards has been sensational since Corum went down. He had 216 yards against Ohio State, backed it up with another 105, or excuse me, 185 against Purdue. Um, and this is a guy that's very dynamic. He makes people miss. This is a, this is a team that I think is very very good defensively. They have exceeded expectations. Exceeded expectations. They lose Aiden Hutchinson. They lose David Ajabo. They're somehow better statistically. You look up at this point in the year, and the last time Michigan allowed a passing touchdown in the second half, Iowa. That was October first. Like this is a really good team, and I think that people around the country just view them as like, well, you know, they they were able to sneak up and get Ohio State again. Listen. Listen, they, they are every bit the equal of Ohio State, and I think that this year they might be every bit the equal of even Georgia with their run game, with their ability to play defense, and with the emergence of some young players, okay? So look at some of these young players and what they're doing late, Obviously, J.J. McCarthy, their quarterback, he's played very well late, in particular with explosive passes down the field. Donovan Edwards is a young player. He stepped up for Blake Coram and he's been fantastic. A couple of freshmen that all of a sudden are in really meaningful spots and will be in focal point spots in this game against TCU. Will Johnson, the corner, who had two interceptions in that Big Ten championship game, and Colston Loveland, uh, the tight end. Th- this is a really good team. They're great up front both sides of the ball. They've built that run uh, front to stop the run with guys like Mozzie Smith in there at defensive tackle. They play hard edges, hybrid linebackers. And and this is a team that knows exactly how to get off the field in the red zone. I just talked about it in the other matchup in that peach bowl about the, the way that Georgia understands like, okay, well, Ben don't break. And then we're going to get off the field in the red zone. Well, that's exactly what Michigan does. Georgia is number one in the country in red zone touchdown percentage on defense. Michigan, number three in the country in red zone touchdown percentage. That's one of the reasons they beat Ohio State. They've only allowed two touchdowns in their last 10 red zone trips, so they're actually getting better here towards the end of the year. This is a really good team, and if you're looking at some keys for me, this is what I would tell Michigan. Be the bully, okay? like The Frogs have been tested, and they're gritty. They're not your equal at the line of scrimmage. So, like, be the bully. I don't think Michigan needs to get cute at all. So, very similar to what I would say to Georgia, right? Like, be yourself. Like, Michigan, be yourself. Test them. Hammer away with those body shots. You know, you're the tougher team. So, it's incumbent on them to prove that they can stay, right? And I would say the same thing to Georgia. I would say also for Michigan, like, be aggressive, be aggressive. This is one thing that, that I'm looking at towards the end of the year. And I'm like, you know, if there was one thing I would want to see more out of their offense in particular, it would be play-action pass. They're so good running the football. And J.J. McCarthy is one of the best quarterbacks in the country in play-action pass that this is a moment where it's like, you can get some big plays. And this is this is not a, a play-action game that is utilized to attack down the field like let's say Ohio State's is or even uh, Georgia's is or TCU's is, their play-action pass is more... Well, how would I, I, I define? Let me just try to define it to you this way. Play-action pass is when you give a hard run fake and you set up in a pass protection and then you 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 have a route concept read out by the quarterback with a pass protection. Okay, And you're generally setting up inside the pocket or on a little bit of a half roll. Run action pass is when you give a hard fake, like in zone, and then you make it outside of the pocket. So then you're getting outside. So this is what I would call like a full flow run action pass. Well, when you run action pass, it's not necessarily a concept being attached to that, and you don't have a... a, uh, uh, a protection attached to it what you're doing is creating levels and then you, everyone's dragging into those levels uh from a passing game standpoint that's what they do really well run action pass play action pass is much more deadly and if they sit in the play action pass game I think that they're going to be able to create some big plays TCU's defense is not a great defense. Okay so they're going to be able to establish the run and once they do that be aggressive that's what i would say get in that play action get in that play action and then for their defense you've got to understand like this defense is built to face a team like TCU TCU has a good NFL-style running back, right? they got a quarterback that can get loose, use his legs. They've got a really good matchup problem on the outside in Quentin Johnston. So this defense, what do you need? You need hybrid players. You need to spy the quarterback. Well, they can do that. When they're in their nickel defense, I would expect guys like Mike Sainer still uh, to be in there spying Max Duggan at times, their linebacker core, spying Max Duggan. Junior Colson could be one of those guys. These are going to be important types of calls for Jesse Minter, the defensive coordinator, because the one thing you can't do is allow Duggan to get going with his legs. That leads me to TCU. This is just the team that just won't stop. Five second-half comebacks. And I thought that they were going to complete their sixth in that Big 12 championship game. I do find it fascinating that it's like TCU's not going to get panicked if they're down in the first half. And yet there's no better second half team than Michigan. So what do they have to do? TCU has got to get a lead in this game. They've got to play from the front. This cannot be a game in which, you know, they're like, oh, you know, we went down by a couple scores. Well, now Max is going to run around. I just, I don't think that they can do that against Michigan. Um, and, and succeed. What they need to do is create explosive plays early in the game. They need to try to capture a lead. Well, how do you do that? Well, number one, you allow Max Duggan to throw the ball down the field. And, and he's one of the best in college football doing that. In fact, when you look at, at Duggan, he's got 68 attempts of 20 yards downfield or more. And he's very efficient completing those down the field. In fact, he's got 18 TD throws on throws that go 20 yards in the air. That's the most in all of college football this year. Okay, so let him sit there, right? If I'm Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator, if I'm Sonny Dykes, I need the lead. So what am I going to do? I'm going to test those secondary players from Michigan. If Will Johnson's out there and and they want to put Will Johnson, the young corner on Quentin Johnston... Go after him right away. Test him. And I think that those shots are going to be critical early in the game. Quentin Johnston is a matchup nightmare, right? Like this guy against anybody, even a very good corner, is tough to defend. He's 6'4". He's 215 pounds. When he's healthy, he's as explosive as any wide receiver in college football. I think he's got a great chance to be a top 10, top 11, top 12 pick in the NFL draft. And and your quarterback is very efficient throwing the ball down the field against a team that if you get into a kind of a second half like slugfest, they're the best at that in the country. So go run away. If I'm if I'm TCU man, I'm going out. I'm going out fast. Isn't that what Seabiscuit did, right? Seabiscuit, go out. Get out there fast and and, and run hard. I know that that's a bad analogy because, right? Like Toby McGuire's, like, hey, you gotta pull him back a little bit and let him see in his eyes. Maybe, maybe Duggan is Seabiscuit, right? You gotta pull him back, and then he's gonna get a sniff right there in the back stretch, and then like let him go because the guy has the heart of a lion. That's the other thing that they're going to need to do is, is that they're going to need to find a way uh, to allow Duggan to threaten the defense with his legs. So create big plays in the passing game and get Duggan loose on the edge. Now, part of that is going to be their ability to run the football outside of, uh, of Duggan. And if they can do that with Kendra Miller, that's great. Not many teams have been able to run the football and Michigan doesn't really care if you run it kind of good because they're great in the red zone. So, Listen, this is a tough matchup for TCU. I don't think TCU is going to win. I do think Michigan is going to win because for TCU, they're going to have to play a game that is different than what they want to play, right? Like... this is a team that comes back in the second half. You can't do that against Michigan with their run game. So this this is gonna have to be a different style of game for TCU. They're gonna have to get out quick, create big plays, hang on in the end rather than, you know, moving forward. And for those reasons, I think Michigan wins, and I think Michigan covers the seven and a half. Um I love TCU. I love Max Duggan. You know that. I've talked glowingly about them and their run during the course of this season. I just feel like they're going to meet their match. Again, Michigan is one of the best teams in the country. And I think that Michigan wins. They cover the seven and a half. And I think that they're going to play Georgia in the national championship in SoFi Stadium on the ninth. That's going to do it for the preview. So when you uh, come back, it will be Monday. It'll be January 2nd. Happy New Year. I hope everyone has a very happy New Year and a very safe weekend, folks. Okay? Have a safe weekend after these games on Saturday. I hope you enjoy them. I can't wait someday, and I'm praying and hoping that I get a chance to call one of these games uh, someday. Uh, But as it is, I'll be on the couch with my three sons and we're going to be having chicken wings and nachos and watching these great games. I've got Michigan covering the seven and a half. I've got Ohio State covering the 6.5, but Georgia winning the game in these two playoff games. You can follow me at Joel Klatt on Twitter. You can follow the show at Joel Klatt Show on all of the uh, social media. And come back Monday, January 2nd, we will have a full recap of both of these playoff games come then. Thanks for listening, everybody.